Hey, hello friends, and welcome to this message, which is specially handpicked to minister to you and to bless you. I am Pastor Lincoln Seranga, Senior Pastor here at Liberty Christian Fellowship in London. My passion is the pursuit of 100% answered prayer. If that sounds like a good subject to you, why don't you follow me at lincolnseranga.com and also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and other social media where you will be able to find other messages as well as find access to short courses, coaching opportunities, and more. God bless you as you listen to this message. Yeah, praise God and thank you for being here tonight and to everybody online, welcome. Um, it's I love Friday and I've just had such a beautiful time in the presence of God. Thank you so much, Elizabeth and Benita. Um, the worship was just sweet. You know, like when you're when you're in that place where you feel like Please don't end. Let's just stay here and bask and let's just be in the presence of God. And um, I, that's one of the things that I feel about this season and this year. I really feel that it is a year for us to be so close to Jesus, for a, a year for intimacy. I feel that for myself, like some wells of worship and, and intimacy with God are, are opening up. And I pray that this will be a year to wake us up like no other. Amen. Let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you that you are closer than a brother, closer than a mother, closer than anybody, that husband, a friend, the closest friend. Thank you for your presence here. Lord, we just want to open up our hearts. We open ourselves wide that you will come and pour yourself into us. Pour your word into us. Move us from this level to where you are. Move us from where we are. Wake up those places that have fallen asleep. Wake up those places that have gone into hibernation and bring us close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Is the sound all right for you? It's a bit poppy for me. Um, so, because we are focusing on Jesus today, um, I want to focus on Jesus um, as I preach today. But if, you, if you're one of those people who likes a heading, um, the heading is Jesus dash his devotional life. I just want us to focus on that. And um, one of the things, one of the cleverest things that my husband has ever said, Pastor Lincoln to you, <laughs> is that Jesus is not just the object of our worship, but he's a prototype of who we are meant to be. Because a lot of times, and I, I think, you know, my hand goes up as guilty, is a lot of times we just think of Jesus as out there, worthy of worship, wonderful Jesus, beautiful Jesus, you know. Look at what he done. Ah, he's amazing. But that's one thing. We get fixated on venerating him and worshiping him. 
But he never said, amongst all the things that he said he came to do, he never said he came to be worshipped. Yeah? He never said that. He, did, he didn't say, I have come that you may worship me. And I think that if he had just come that we may worship him, he had so many opportunities to just be the center of worship. He had opportunities to just stop and say, guys, did you just see what I did? And take a moment to bask in glory. But that's not why he came. The reason why he came is to show us what God can do with us. He came as the first amongst brothers. He came to show us what we are supposed to look like. What God intended us to look like. And for me, that point of view has changed my life. Because everything that we see Jesus do is meant to be not, wow, look at how Jesus done this. Or, wow, it's meant to be, that is something that I should be reaching for. That is something that I should be doing. So my scripture from last year, about March, has been 1 John 4, 17, which says, as he is, so we are in the world. And I, I'm just, I just love the fact that it doesn't say as he was even. It says as he is now, so are we in this world. Which to me says that, you know, like where he was, how he was those 2,000 something years ago was amazing. And if I could just be that, that would be awesome. But where he is now is the glorified Jesus. And the Bible says, as he is, so we are in this world. So we are supposed to be amazing. So I felt drawn at the start of this season to focus a little bit on Jesus' devotional life. And why, why is because I believe that that was his engine. I think that his devotional life is what distinguished him and what gave him great results. I believe that that's where the power was. And when we think of great results, boy, were his results amazing. I think that the scripture that encapsulates his results the best is Acts chapter 10. Verse 38, so before we go into his devotional life, let's just have a look, actually, let's have a read of Acts chapter 10, and we'll read verse 38 together, all of us. Can we do that? Aha, uh -huh, let's go. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Let's do it again. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Now we are in awe. When we read that, you know, I, I don't know about you, but when I read the Gospels and when I read Acts, I always have to stop because I always feel 
God, what have we done to you? Why is it that it doesn't, you don't, we don't look like this? But this is what we're supposed to look like. And um, for Jesus to look like that, to be anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, to go about everywhere doing good, to heal all who were oppressed of the devil, all who were oppressed of the devil. For him to do that, I believe, was only possible because of his devotional life. It was dependent on his devotional life. Had he come to earth and spent the whole of his earth time in party after party, we wouldn't be in this conversation. We wouldn't be in this place, and he wouldn't have that description of him. He had to do something in order to produce that result. Are we together? So I just wanted us to take a minute this evening to look at his devotional life, because in understanding what it took for him to be that, it will give us a picture of what it is going to take for me to look like that. Okay? Right. So, thing number one, point number one about his devotional life is it was inconvenient. Jesus' devotional life was inconvenient, full stop. It was not tailored to fit around a busy timetable. It wasn't tailored to fit in the spaces. It was not comfortable. It was pricey. It was inconvenient. Let's turn to Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. We could flick scripture after scripture. But let's just look at this one. So Mark chapter 1. Verse 35, the setting of it is Jesus has been busy. He's had a busy day. Um, the Bible talks about how he's gone to his mother-in-law, Simon's mother-in-law. Jesus did not have a mother-in-law. Uh, pardon me. Simon's mother-in-law, he'd been there. She was ill. He prayed for her. She was healed. Then it says, verse 32, that that evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to him. Then it says, verse 33, and every, all scripture is inspired, the whole town gathered. Huh? The whole town. I don't know how many people that is or how big that town was, but I'm thinking multiple thousands. The whole town gathered together at the door to watch. And Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases. Now, I just want you to picture this for a minute. Just capture how tiring this day was. First of all, the number of people that came. Um, I, I don't know whether you're like me, I'm a bit of an introvert, but when I deal with large numbers of people after some time, I feel like I need to go and have a lie down. <laughs> like I'm so tired. <laughs> so he had lots of people come to his door. And it wasn't like one of those crusades where he's standing on a podium 
with a microphone because they didn't have microphones. So it wasn't like he was standing on a microphone saying, receive. It wasn't like that. It was one-to-one -one ministry. Because that's, I imagine that was the way that he had to do it. Because there wasn't any other way that he could do it mass. I just don't see Jesus taking his tunic and just throwing it on the, on the people. I believe that he was ministering to these guys one-on-one. -on -one. So he was going one to the other, healing people and casting out demons. How many of you have ever cast out a demon? Let me tell you for free. It's hard work. They don't go willingly. I know that Jesus is almighty, but it takes authority. Praying for the sick takes authority. Ministry takes authority. And, and it takes something, some energy out of you. So he's been super busy. And he's also having to tell the demons to shut up. Because the demons are, are telling everybody who he is. And so he's, he's really busy. I, I hope you get the picture. And so after that day, I imagine that that evening Jesus was spent. He did it the whole, I don't know what time they went to bed. Because that crusade of praying for thousands, the whole town, that crusade started in the evening. It wasn't a day, daytime meeting. It was in the evening. So in my head, he probably finished, what time do you guys think? 11? Midnight? Maybe more? I don't know. He finished probably late. I don't know what time those guys, because they didn't have lights and they were using lanterns. I don't know. But he, the point I'm trying to get across is he had had a busy day. Then the Bible says, verse 35, that before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and he went out to an isolated place to pray. Now, I mean, if I was him after full-time, you know, like so tired, really busy day, super exhausted, I would have had a lie-in. But not Jesus. His prayer life was costly. His prayer life cost him sleep. His prayer life stretched him. His devotional life was expensive. Let's cast our minds back to last Sunday. Last Sunday we were talking about, uh, Pastor Lincoln was preaching on the time in the wilderness. Um, 40 days in the wilderness. Now, we can sanitize it, but I think for me, having gone to Israel once opened my mind because we went to the place where he, like the wilderness where he was, and I was so hot. It was boiling. I think we were at 40 or something like that, or very late 30s, hot, dry heat. Like I was there for a minute and he was like, I need to go. This is he was there 40 days and 40 nights. Now imagine that heat, and then their kind of weather is it's super hot in the day, and then the evenings are cold. So heat to cold, heat to cold. He did not have a bed. 
More importantly for me, he didn't have a shower. One of the reasons why when we do David's tent, I don't do camping is because my deepest joy in the evening is having a shower and just the comfort of the shower in your room. And when, when you go for these camping things and you're in this little squashed up shower, something in me is like, nah, I won't be able to worship tomorrow. <laughs> so, but can you imagine 40 days and 40 nights, I don't know what he was doing to sanitize himself or to get clean. I don't know how he was showering. I don't know how I would do it. Without a bed. I don't know about you, but without a bed, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know how to sleep on the floor. It just doesn't work for me. No company. No one to sit back and just relax and talk. For 40 days. Tell your neighbor Jesus' prayer life was inconvenient. And therefore, if we are supposed to imitate, if that is supposed to be the prototype of how we walk like Jesus, then we need to embrace the fact that if your prayer life, your devotional life is anything, going to be anything like Jesus's, it's going to cost you some sleep. Mm -hmm. It is going to cause you a little bit of discomfort. It is going to inconvenience you. Put your hand up and say, I embrace the fact that following Jesus means my prayer life is going to be inconvenient. That means you don't slip Jesus in between your program. And you don't pray only when it's comfortable for you. He woke up, the Bible says, a great time, a great while before daylight. And he went out to pray. So point number one, if we are to follow Jesus, if we are following Jesus, our prayer life needs to be inconvenient. So ask your neighbor for me just for a minute. When did you last inconvenience yourself for Jesus, for prayer? When did it last cost you something? Hmm. It's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's got to be a little bit extreme and a little bit long. Yeah, all the people that want to follow Jesus, not just the prayer warriors. Amen. Number two, Jesus' devotional life was consistent. It was consistent. It wasn't that he inconvenienced himself sometimes and then had a break. He was consistent in his prayer life. If you're anything like me, your prayer life has peaks and troughs. How many of you will say, yes, I understand, yeah. There are seasons where you're intense in prayer and it can be an hour, another hour. And then if sometimes you have these seasons 
where 30 minutes is a long time. Amen, church. But there needs to be a consistency about our prayer lives. It needs to be habitual. Let's read a, a scripture. So even if there are seasons that may be higher, we're supposed to go from high back to the habit. Huh? Not from high to zero. Luke chapter 5. Five sixteen. It says, but Jesus often, somebody say often, he often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Some of your Bibles, some versions, I can't remember which version, it says, as it was his habit. It was his habit that he withdrew to prayer. You see, prayer to be effective needs to be consistent. You need to be building on it. Uh, it needs to be something that you are exercising. Actually, anything to be effective needs to be consistent. Um, and the Bible, I mean, Jesus himself taught, Luke chapter 18, verse 1, you know the, pro, uh, the story well, where he's teaching about prayer, he said that he's teaching so that we may pray at all times and not lose heart. Hmm? When he's talking about the persistent widow. Paul puts it like this. He says, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. I think that, that one has, that's one of the shortest verses. Uh, verses of scripture pray without ceasing or in the NLT it says never stop praying so prayer Jesus's prayer life was consistent so our prayer lives have to be consistent as well if we are following and imitating him and the church said amen point number three about Jesus's prayer life it was passionate. Somebody say passionate. I'll talk a little bit more about this on Sunday, but um, guys, throw up Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. It's one of the, the verses that really strikes me a lot. Hebrews 5, 7. Let's read it together. Let's go. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered, I can't hear you, and offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his godly fear. He offered up what? Prayers and supplication with vehement cries. Oh my goodness. I, I don't know whether you have another version because maybe you guys don't use the word vehement a lot but loud loud cries passionate cries and tears that's how his prayer life looked like it was raw hmm? i don't know when the last time 
was that you prayed and cried. Now, the person who is offering up loud cries is son of God, Messiah. He's not in debt. He's not being chased out of his house. He's not praying for a wife. This is his prayer life. It is passionate. He's crying out to God. Not because he's in a personal crisis. But that is the kind of prayer that he was praying to have the results that he had, which we heard about before. Now, um, I, I get worried about myself when I come to a place where I don't shed any tears in the presence of God. When I come to the place where I, I come through worship and I come through prayer and it's one Sunday and the next Sunday and no tears. And I start to wonder and I go to my prayer room and I'm like, where are the tears? Where is the passion? Why, where is the emotion? Now you'll say to me, maybe that's because you're emotional. Ask my husband. I'm not really. <laughs> I'm not really that much of an emotional person. But the things of God must touch our hearts. They must. Whether you are super cool, diplomatic, we must imitate him. And I, I think that until the presence of God gets you to this place where there are, where there is vehement crying and tears. I think that we haven't yet started to pray. Yeah? Prayer was never meant to be our Father. We will thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. No. That wasn't how his prayer was. Now, if spotless lamb of God without spot or wrinkle needed to cry you know like um when we were talking about the grace movement and we're talking about um Jesus has already paid the price and we don't have to pay the price and and you know when people take that string where it ends up is they they end up with with no intercession no passion in prayer because everything is already finished. But no, no, no. This was the guy who had everything. But he needed to find that place in the place of prayer. This 2020, I pray for you that you will find the passion in prayer. That you will find that, that place in God where there is a vehement, loud cry, where there are tears, where your heart is stretched in the place of prayer. Because that, my dears, is where prayer begins. And if he needed to do it, I've got a feeling that I need to do it more. I need to come alive in the place of prayer. May God touch our prayer lives and wake us up. May God take us away. Maybe that's why the church doesn't look anywhere like its master. Doesn't look anywhere his brothers and sisters, but we don't look alike. And perhaps this is part of the reason that we need to find the place of passionate prayer. Amen. 
Tell your neighbor, where is your passion? Where are the tears? Where are the cries? When was the last time? When was the last time that the things of God... You know, um, sometimes uh, we talk about comfort, and I think I'll talk about that on Sunday, uh, because we're in a society where we have everything. Uh, excuse me? Have you read the news? I think that the problems we have here are way more than the, the problems that we were dealing with. Okay, maybe we were dealing with guns, but I, there's enough happening around us to stir that passion. May God Bring us to the place of Hebrews 5, 7, where there are cries and tears in the presence of God. Amen. Amen. Number four, about Jesus' prayer life. It was confident. It was confident. And I can't think of a story that displays Jesus's, um, by the way, did you notice I'm kind of matchy in what, I was trying to find things with the same word and it wasn't working, but inconvenient, consistent, confident, I think I'm doing well, passionate, uh -huh. and there's, there's stereo. <laughs> Okay, so it was, it was confident. Um, and I think that the one that, that shows that the most is um, John chapter 11, where in my view, he's dealing with something which is like the biggest, biggest, biggest hurdle that he would deal with. John chapter 11 is the whole story about the raising of Lazarus. Guys, remember? And... Um, I'm just amazed at how confident he is. Confident about the effectiveness of his prayer. Confident about the power of his prayer. Confident about the results from his prayer. He prayed from this place and spoke and ministered from this place where he was absolutely persuaded that when he prayed, God was going to do something. So let's just read a few of those um, verses from John 11. Um, let's read verse 5. No, okay, it's verse 3. Two sisters send a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Um, and he says, this sickness will not end in death. It has happened for the glory of God. Totally com com persuaded about that. Then when you move down to verse about 11, jump down to verse 11. He says, our friend has fallen asleep. But now, let me go and wake him up. My God. <laughs> like a walk in the park. He was absolutely persuaded that what he had, because he'd prayed about this thing, he'd spent hours in the presence of God before he came to talk to these guys. And so he told them like it was nothing. Let's go, guys, and let's wake him up. And then um, when it comes to the tomb, 
verse 42. I, I always, I'm, I'm in awe. He comes to the tomb. This is at the grave side of somebody who's, how, how long had Lazarus been in there, guys? Tell me. Three days? Three days, four, four, three. Three days. And he comes, and this is how he prays. Uh, let's go to 41, I think. Let's go from 41. They rolled the stone aside. And so I imagine there's a smell. And Jesus looks up to heaven and he says, Father, thank you for hearing me. <laughs> Next verse. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. You always hear me. I love the confidence, 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 confidence. And it's all over the scriptures that Jesus is so persuaded about the power of his prayer. Ask somebody near you, do you actually believe in your prayers? Hmm? A lot of times we're like, hmm, let's pray. Even the way that you say it, let's pray. It, it's, it's like, it, it, it's a last resort and let's try it. The way that we feel about it is let's try it. Jesus prayed to the point where he had no questions about the effectiveness of, our, of his prayer. Saints, we need to come to the place where we are persuaded that our prayers work. Where we are persuaded that when we pray, pray, the Father always hears us. Do you know that um, even when somebody sounds super confident, we almost want to put a disclaimer in for them. Do you relate? Like, I remember when we were praying for William not so long ago, and he was so confident on that night of prayer. And some people were, like, wanting to put in a little disclaimer, just in case God doesn't. May God bring us to the place of super confidence in the power of prayer. That when we have prayed and prayed passionately, confidently, consistently, we come to the place where we say, Father, thank you that you always hear me. And we can tell people we are praying for, I am confident. I have I've come to the place where I know that God always hears me. Amen. I mean, Jesus gets really surprised at his disciples um, when they have difficulty believing God. Do you remember the whole thing about the walking on, no, the storm? When he was sleeping in the, in the back of the boat. And it was a wild storm. It was a scary situation. And Jesus is sleeping. He's, he's so sleeping that he's pulled a pillow. Like he was intentional about his sleep. It wasn't like he knocked off. He got a pillow and he slept in the midst of a storm. And while he's, the disciples stand there and they're like, Jesus, don't you even care? Are you not bothered about our situation? And he 
stands up and he's surprised that they can't believe. And we're surprised that he's surprised. Because we're like, this was the kind of situation that causes unbelief, Jesus. You know, like in the midst of these storms, it's only natural. But to him, doubt was foreign. In fact, it was not just foreign, it was irritating. Because for him, his level of communion with God was such that he knew, of course, God will come through. Lay your hands on your neighbor and say, I pray that you will start to believe that your prayers work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm coming to a close now. The last point about Jesus' devotional life. Has anybody got any homework from what we've said? Things that we need to work on. Jesus' prayer life was interactive. I couldn't find an end to this one. It wasn't one-way communion. It wasn't one-way traffic is what I'm trying to say. It wasn't one-way traffic. It was interactive. It wasn't him talking at God and leaving the prayer room. His, in his prayer life, God was at work in the prayer room. I don't know whether you understand what I'm saying. It, there was supernatural activity in his prayer room. That's the best way I can put it. His prayer closet was live. There was action happening in the prayer room, not just on Sunday or not just on the crusade. In the prayer room, there was God speaking. God, he was speaking to God and God was speaking back and there was loads of things happening. Some say, I, I read it somewhere, that when we speak to God, it's called prayer. But when we talk about God speaking to us, it's called schizophrenia. Have you heard that saying? Like people think um, we're, we're comfortable with the idea of God speaking. I mean, of, of us speaking to God. We're not so comfortable with the idea that he must have a time to speak back or to communicate back. But God speaking was very much a part of Jesus' devotional life. And I imagine the reason why he had to spend such a long time in the presence of God is because there was conversation happening. And um, God was speaking to him. God didn't just whisper to his soul. God spoke out loud. This is my boy. I'm really proud of him. Um, God sent People from the other side, um, the ones who didn't die, Elijah, Moses, they joined in the conversation. M remember Matthew chapter 17, um, verse 1 to 6, it talks about that time where Jesus calls the disciples into his prayer life or allows them to be part of his prayer life. And when they, they sleep and they open their eyes, and suddenly, he's in this deep conversation. Him, Elijah, Moses. 
The lights are on. Somebody has put a flashlight on. Somebody's put this garment on him that looks so bright. So much supernatural activity is going on. Now, I think that that wasn't something that was a one-off. I think that Jesus just allowed them to be part of what he experienced. That he came, he prayed until he came to this place where there was communion. Reason why I say it is even Moses, who wasn't son of God, because you'll say, but Jesus was son of God, so he was just going back to headquarters where he knew. Moses, when Moses went into the prayer closet, he came out with his face shining. And that was in the Old Testament, guys. That was before the veil was torn. So I believe that you and I are entitled to have supernatural activity happening when we're in the prayer closet. We are entitled to come because the curtain was torn so that you and I can go into that place where the glory shines. That place where we can have communion with him live, where... I don't know. I don't know whether you can feel my spirit. But these are the things we must pursue in prayer. These are the things that we need us to take a chunk of time. Let me tell you, I don't think that 20 minutes prayer before you sleep will get you to these realms. Mm -mm. In fact, I remember uh, one of the ladies that I learned to pray with. Um, her name was Florence. And she used to play, pray like eight hours down. But like, like it was nothing. <laughs> and she, she always used to say to us that the first hour is just entering. I remember her saying that, that the first hour is a lot of you're getting out of the flesh, you're getting past distractions, you're getting past the day, you're just starting. And then you get into the next hour and you start to get into worship and you, and the next hour, every hour brings you to another level. But Jesus died so that we might come into these levels where Moses and Elijah join in the conversation. Do you remember? For me, I, I, I look at his prayer life. Another time that we are given an opportunity to look at his prayer life is Gethsemane. Remember Gethsemane? The Bible says, okay, yeah, I know there was the sweating and the blood and the tears and all of that. But angels came and ministered to him. And I feel like this is something. He had angelic visitations in the prayer room. This 2020, may God take you to the place where our prayer is interactive. Where we can meet with angels. Where we can touch the supernatural. Where our skin changes. Our face changes. Where our garments change. May God take us to the place of supernatural exchanges. This should fuel our pursuit for 2020. But these things come when our prayer is inconvenient. When our prayer is when our prayer is 
passionate, when our prayer is confident, we need to come past the praying a little. Someone once said, and it was, it's a statement that will remain in my life, life for the rest of my life. He said, little prayer, little power. A lot, lot of prayer, a lot of power. There just simply is no other way. May God bring us to the place of prayer. Let's just pray for a minute. Just open up your mouth and just speak to Jesus. One minute. Hmm. Yeah, Lord. Yes, with everything in our hearts, we say yes. Yes, Lord. We want to pursue that place with you. We want to pursue that place, Lord, where we have communion with you, where our prayer chamber comes alive, where the presence of God invades our homes, our, our place where we meet with you. Lord, we know that you are waiting for us in the prayer closet. You are waiting for us. You're waiting for our passion to be stirred up again. You're waiting for our hunger to be stirred up again. And Lord God, we just want to lift up our hands and say, yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Bring us past the gates and past the courts, the outer court, and bring us past, Lord God, all these things. Bring us back into the Holy of Holies or into the Holy of Holies. Help us to pursue you with everything that we have because that is what it's all about. That's what you came for. We thank you, Lord, that you have torn the curtain. You have opened up a way. You have invited us. You have spread out an invitation. And you are saying to us, come. Come into this place. Come into this place where we can be together. Come into this place where I can speak to you. Come into this place where darkness becomes light. And come into this place where Things disappear in the presence of God. Lord, we pray this year that you will stir us like never before. That we will model our devotional life on Jesus' devotional.